Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing articles published in October 2023 issues. First, Annals of Surgery. Impact of Robotic Assistance on Complications in Bariatric Surgery Expert Laparoscopic Surgery Centers, a Retrospective Comparative Study with Propensity Score. Objective to investigate the way robotic assistance affected rate of complications in bariatric surgery at expert robotic and laparoscopic surgery facilities. Background While the benefits of robotic assistance were established at the beginning of surgical training, there is limited data on the robot's influence on experienced bariatric laparoscopic surgeons. Methods We conducted a retrospective study using the BRO Clinical Database, 2008-2022, collecting data of patients operated on in expert centers. We compared the serious complication rate, defined as a Clavin score greater than or equal to 3, in patients undergoing metabolic bariatric surgery with or without robotic assistance. We used a directed acyclic graph to identify the variables adjustment set used in a multivariable linear regression, and a propensity score matching to calculate the average treatment effect, ATE, of robotic assistance. Results the study included 35,043 patients, 24,428 sleep gastrectomy, SG, 10,452 Ruen Y gastric bypass, RYGB, 163 single anastomosis duodenal ileal bypass with sleep gastrectomy, SADI S, with 938 operated on with robotic assistance, 801 SG, 134 RYGB, 3 SADI S, among 142 centers. Overall, we found no benefit of robotic assistance regarding the risk of complications, average treatment effect equals minus 0.05, P equals 0.794, with no difference in the RIGB plus SADI group, P equals 0.322, but a negative trend in the SG group, more complications, P equals 0.060. Length of hospital stay was decreased in the robot group, 3.7 3.7 plus or minus 11.1 versus 4.0 plus or minus 9.0 days, p less than 0.001. Conclusions Robotic assistance reduced the length of stay but did not statistically significantly reduce postoperative complications, Clavin score greater than or equal to 3, following a GBP or SG. A tendency toward an elevated risk of complications following SG requires more supporting studies. Changing Landscape of Routine Pediatric Surgery for Rural and Urban Children, a report from the Child Health Evaluation of Surgical Services, CHESS, Group. Objective To describe the changes to routine pediatric surgical care over the past two decades for children living in urban and rural environments. Background A knowledge gaps exists regarding trends in the location where routine pediatric surgical care is provided to children from urban and rural environments over time. Methods. 
Children, age 0 to 18, undergoing seven common surgeries were identified using state inpatient databases, SID, 2002-2017. Rural-urban commuting area codes were used to classify patient and hospital zip codes. Multivariable regression models for distance traveled more than 60 miles and transfer status were used to compare rural and urban populations, adjusting for year, age, sex, race, and insurance status. Results Among 143,467 children, 13% lived in rural zip codes. The distance traveled for care increased for both rural and urban children for all procedures but significantly more for the rural cohort, e.g., 102% versus 30%, p less than 0.001, cholecystectomy. Transfers also increased for rural children, e.g., transfers for appendectomy increased from 1% in 2002 to 23% in 2017, p less than 0.001. Factors associated with the need to travel greater than 60 miles included year, adjusted odds ratio, AOR equals 2.18, 95% c, 1.94 to 2.46, 2017 versus 2002, rural residents, AOR equals 6.55, 95% C, 6.11 to 7.01, age less than 5 years, AOR equals 2.17, 95% C, 1.92 to 2.46, and Medicaid insurance, AOR equals 1.35, 95% C, 1.26 to 1.45. Factors associated with transfer included year, AOR equals 5.77, 95% C, 5.26 to 6.33, 2017 versus 2002, rural residents, AOR equals 1.47, 95% C, 1.39 to 1.56, age less than 10 years, AOR equals 2.34, 95% C, 2.15 to 2.54, and Medicaid insurance, AOR equals 1.49, 95% C, 1.42 to 1.46. Conclusion Rural children, younger age, and those on Medicaid disproportionately traveled greater distances and were more frequently transferred for common pediatric surgical procedures. Outcomes of elective and non-elective fenestrated branched endovascular aortic repair for treatment of thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms. Objective To describe outcomes after elective and non-elective fenestrated branched endovascular aortic repair, FBFR, for thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms, TIS. Background FBFR has been increasingly utilized to treat TIS, however, outcomes after non-elective versus elective repair are not well described. Methods Clinical data of consecutive patients undergoing FBFR for TIS at 24 centers, 2006-2021, were reviewed. Endpoints including early mortality and major adverse events, maze, all-cause mortality, and aortic-related mortality, ARM, were analyzed and compared in patients who had non-elective versus elective repair. Results A total of 2,603 patients, 69% males, mean age 72 plus or minus 10 year old, underwent FBFR for TIS. Elective repair was performed in 2,187 patients, 84%, and non-elective repair in 416 patients, 16%, 268, 64%, symptomatic, 148, 
36%, ruptured. Non-elective FBFR was associated with higher early mortality, 17% versus 5%, P less than 0.001, and rates of maize, 34% versus 20%, P less than 0.001. Median follow-up was 15 months, interquartile range, 7 to 37 months. Survival and cumulative incidence of ARM at 3 years were both lower for non-elective versus elective patients, 50 plus or minus 4% versus 70 plus or minus 1%, and 21 plus or minus 3% versus 7 plus or minus 1%, p less than 0.001. On multivariable analysis, non-elective repair was associated with increased risk of all-cause mortality, hazard ratio, 1.92, 95% c, 1.50 to 2.44, p less than 0.001 and arm, hazard ratio, 2.43, 95% C, 1.63 to 3.62, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Non-elective FBFR of symptomatic or ruptured TIS is feasible, but carries higher incidence of early maze and increased all-cause mortality and arm than elective repair. Long-term follow-up is warranted to justify the treatment. Waitlist and transplant outcomes in organ donation after circulatory death, trends in the United States. Objectives To summarize waitlist and transplant outcomes in kidney, liver, lung, and heart transplantation using organ donation after circulatory death, DCD. Background DCD has expanded the donor pool for solid organ transplantation, most recently for heart transplantation. Methods the United Network for Organ Sharing Registry was used to identify adult transplant candidates and recipients in the most recent allocation policy eras for kidney, liver, lung, and heart transplantation. Transplant candidates and recipients were grouped by acceptance criteria for DCD versus brain-dead donors, donation after brain death, DBD, only in DCD versus DBD transplant, respectively. Propensity matching and competing risks regression was used to model waitlist outcomes. Survival was modeled using propensity matching in Kaplan-Meier and Cox regression analysis. Results DCD transplant volumes have increased significantly across all organs. Liver candidates listed for DCD organs were more likely to undergo transplantation compared with propensity-matched candidates listed for DBD only and heart and liver transplant candidates listed for DCD were less likely to experience death or clinical deterioration requiring waitlist inactivation. Propensity-matched DCD recipients demonstrated an increased mortality risk up to 5 years after liver and kidney transplantation and up to 3 years after lung transplantation compared with DBD. There was no difference in 1-year mortality between DCD and DBD heart transplantation. Conclusions DCD continues to expand access to transplantation and improves waitlist outcomes for liver and heart transplant candidates. Despite an increased risk for mortality with DCD kidney, liver, and lung transplantation, survival with DCD transplant remains acceptable. Next article is from JAMA Surgery. Dot safety and efficacy of liraglutide, 3.0 mg, 
once daily versus placebo in patients with poor weight loss following metabolic surgery the Bari Optimized Randomized Clinical Trial. Importance metabolic surgery leads to weight loss and improved health, but these outcomes are highly variable. Poor weight loss is associated with lower circulating levels of glucagon-like peptide 1, GLP-1. Objective to assess the efficacy and safety of the GLP-1 receptor agonist, liraglutide, 3.0 mg, on percentage body weight reduction in patients with poor weight loss and suboptimal GLP-1 response after metabolic surgery. Design, setting, and participants The evaluation of liraglutide 3.0 mg in patients with poor weight loss and a suboptimal glucagon-like peptide 1 response, Bari Optimize, randomized placebo-controlled trial recruited adult patients at least one year after metabolic surgery who had experienced 20% or less body weight loss from the day of surgery and a suboptimal nutrient-stimulated GLP-1 response from two hospitals in London, United Kingdom, between October 2018 and November 2019. Interventions Liraglutide, 3.0 mg, once daily or placebo as an adjunct to lifestyle intervention with a 500 kilocalorie daily energy deficit for 24 weeks, on a 1 to 1 allocation stratified by surgery type, RUNY gastric bypass, RIGV, or sleeve gastrectomy, SG, and type 2 diabetes status. Main outcome and measures the primary outcome was change in percentage body weight from baseline to the end of the 24-week study period based on an intention to treat analysis. Results a total of 70 participants, mean, SD, age, 47.6, 10.7, years, 52, 74%, female, with a poor weight loss response following RIGB or SG were randomized to receive 3.0 mg liraglutide, N equals 35, or placebo, N equals 35. All participants received at least one dose of the trial drug. Eight participants discontinued treatment, four per group, and two in the 3.0 mg liraglutide group and one in the placebo group were lost to follow-up. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, three participants in the 3.0 mg liraglutide group and seven in the placebo group were unable to attend their final in-person assessment. Estimated change in mean, SD, percentage body weight from baseline to week 24 was minus 8.82, 4.94, with liraglutide, 3.0 mg, N equals 31, versus minus 0.54, 3.32, with placebo, N equals 26. The mean difference in percentage body weight change for liraglutide, 3.0 mg, versus placebo was minus 8.03, 95% C, minus 10.39 to minus 5.66, P less than 0.001. Adverse events, predominantly gastrointestinal, were more frequent with liraglutide, 3.0 mg, 28 events, 80%, then placebo, 20 events, 57%. There were no serious adverse events and no treatment-related deaths. Conclusion and relevance These findings support the use of adjuvant liraglutide, 3.0 mg, for weight management in patients with poor weight loss and suboptimal GLP-1 response after metabolic surgery. Association of axillary dissection with systemic therapy in patients with clinically node-positive breast cancer. Importance the role of axillary lymph node dissection, ALND 
to determine nodal burden to inform systemic therapy recommendations in patients with clinically node CN positive breast cancer BC is currently unknown. Objective to address the association of ALND with systemic therapy in CN positive BC in the upfront surgery setting and after neoadjuvant chemotherapy NACT. Design, setting, and participants This was a prospective, observational, cohort study conducted from August 2018 to June 2022. This was a pre-planned study within the Phase 3 randomized clinical OPBC-03-TAXIS trial. Included were patients with confirmed CN-positive BC from 44 private, public, and academic breast centers in six European countries. After NACT, residual nodal disease was mandatory, and a minimum follow-up of two months was required. Exposures All patients underwent tailored axillary surgery, TAS, followed by ALND or axillary radiotherapy, ART, according to TAXI's randomization. TAS removed suspicious palpable and sentinel nodes, whereas imaging guidance was optional. Systemic therapy recommendations were at the discretion of the local investigators. Results A total of 500 patients, median, IQR, age, 57, 48 to 69, years, 487 female, 97.4%, were included in the study. In the upfront surgery setting, 296 of 335 patients, 88.4%, had hormone receptor, HR positive and ERB2 receptor tyrosine kinase 2, ERBB2, formerly HER2 or HER2 slash NOI negative disease, 145, 49.0%, underwent ART, and 151, 51.0%, 51.0%, underwent ALND. The median, IQR, number of removed positive lymph nodes without ALND was 3, 1 to 4, nodes compared with 4, 2 to 9, nodes with ALND. There was no association of ALND with the proportion of patients undergoing adjuvant chemotherapy, 81 of 145, 55.9%, versus 91 of 151, 60.3%, Adjusted odds ratio, AOR, 0.72, 95% C, 0.19 to 2.67, and type of systemic therapy. Of 151 patients with NACT, 74, 51.0%, underwent ART, and 77, 49.0%, underwent ALND. The ratio of removed to positive nodes was a median, IQR, of 4, 3 to 7, nodes to 2, 1 to 3, Nodes in 15, 12 to 19, nodes to 2, 1 to 5, nodes in the ART and ALND groups, respectively. There was no observed association of ALND with the proportion of patients undergoing post neoadjuvant systemic therapy, 57 of 74, 77.0%, versus 55 of 77, 71.4%, AOR, 0.86, 95% C. 0.431.70, type of post-neoadjuvant chemotherapy, e.g., capacitabine, 10 of 74, 13.5%, versus 10 of 77, 13.0%, trastuzumab tansine DM1, 9 of 74, 12.2%, versus 11 of 77, 14.3%, or endocrine therapy, e.g., aromatase inhibitors, 41 of 74, 55.4%, versus 36 of 77, 46.8%, tamoxifen, 8 of 74, 10.8%, versus 6 of 77, 7.8%.
Conclusion results of this cohort study suggest that patients without ALND were significantly understaged. However, ALND did not inform systemic therapy recommendations. Association of Established Primary Care Use with Postoperative Mortality Following Emergency General Surgery Procedures Important 65 million individuals in the U.S. live in primary care shortage areas with nearly one-third of Medicare patients in need of a primary care health care professional. Periodic health examinations and preventive care visits have demonstrated a benefit for surgical patients. However, the impact of primary care health care professional shortages on adverse outcomes from surgery is largely unknown. Objective to determine if preoperative primary care utilization is associated with postoperative mortality following an emergency general surgery, EGS, operation among black and white older adults. Design, setting, and participants This was a retrospective cohort study that took place at U.S. hospitals with an emergency department. Participants were Medicare patients aged 66 years or older who were admitted from the emergency department for an EGS condition between July 1, 2015, and June 30, 2018, and underwent an operation on hospital day 0, 1, or 2. The analysis was performed during December 2022. Patients were classified into one of five EGS condition categories based on principal diagnosis codes, colorectal, general abdominal, hepatopancreatobiliary, intestinal obstruction, or upper gastrointestinal. Mixed effects multivariable logistic regression was used in the risk-adjusted models. An interaction term model was used to measure effect modification by race. Exposure primary care utilization in the year prior to presentation for an EGS operation. Main outcome and measures in hospital, 30-day, 60-day, 90-day, and 180-day mortality. Results a total of 102,384 patients, mean age, 73.8, SD, 11.5, years, were included in the study. Of those, 8,559 were black, 8.4%, and 93,825 were white, 91.6%. A total of 88,340 patients, 86.3%, had seen a primary care physician in the year prior to their index hospitalization. After risk adjustment, patients with primary care exposure had 19% lower odds of in-hospital mortality than patients without primary care exposure, odds ratio, or 0.81, 95% C, 0.72 to 0.92. At 30 days patients with primary care exposure had 27% lower odds of mortality, or 0.73, 95% C, 0.67 to 0.80. This remained relatively stable at 60 days, or 0.75, 95% C, 0.69 to 0.81, 90 days, or 0.74, 95% C, 0.69 to 0.81, and 180 days, or 0.75, 95% C, 0.70 to 0.81. None of the interactions between race and primary care physician exposure for mortality at any time interval were significantly different. Conclusions and relevance in this observational study of black and white Medicare patients, primary care utilization had no impact on in-hospital mortality for black patients, but was associated with decreased mortality for white patients. 
Primary care utilization was associated with decreased mortality for both black and white patients at 30, 60, 90 and 180 days. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Low mortality rate after emergency laparotomy in Australia is a reflection of its national surgical mortality audit influencing futile surgery. Background Australia's unique national surgical mortality audit has had a long-term focus on the avoidance of futile surgery. The 30-day mortality rate after emergency laparotomy in Australia is lower than in other countries. Early death, within 72 hours, after emergency laparotomy may reflect futile surgery. This paper considers whether Australia's national mortality audit is the reason for its lower mortality rate after emergency laparotomy. Methods Data were extracted from the Australia and New Zealand Emergency Laparotomy Audit, Quality Improvement, on Zelichi, from 2018 to 2022. The time elapsed from emergency laparotomy to death was determined for each patient. The cumulative daily mortality rate was calculated for the first 30 days and expressed as a proportion of all emergency laparotomies, and 30-day and hospital mortality. Mortality data were compared with those in the only three similar overseas studies. The mortality rate after emergency laparotomy for patients who required but did not undergo surgery was calculated for each hospital. The proportion of patients with high-risk characteristics was compared with that in the National Emergency Laparotomy Audit, NELA. Results. Compared with overseas studies, there was a lower early, within 72 hours, mortality rate in Onzella Chi. Although the lower mortality rate in Onzella Chi persisted to 30 days, there was a relative increase after 14 days that likely reflected known poor compliance with care standards. Australian patients had fewer high-risk characteristics than those in NELA. Conclusion. The present findings support the hypothesis that the lower mortality rate after emergency laparotomy in Australia is likely a consequence of its national mortality audit and the avoidance of futile surgery. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Transatlantic Multicenter Study on the Use of a Modified Preloaded Delivery System for Fenestrated Endovascular Aortic Repair. Objective. Analyze the outcomes of endovascular complex abdominal and thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysm repair using the Cook Fenestrated Device with a Modified Preloaded Delivery System, NPDS, with a biport handle and preloaded catheters. Methods. A multicenter retrospective single-arm cohort study was performed, including all consecutive patients with complex abdominal aortic aneurysm repair and thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms treated with the MPDS fenestrated device, Cook Medical. Patient clinical characteristics, anatomy, and indications for device use were collected. Outcomes, classified according to the Society for Vascular Surgery Reporting Standards, were collected at discharge, 30 days, 6 months, and annually thereafter. Results. Overall, 712 patients, median age, 73 years, interquartile range, IQR, 68 to 78 years, 83% male from 16 centers in Europe, and the United States treated electively were included, 35.4%, and equals 252, 
presented with thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms and 64.6%, and equals 460, with complex abdominal aortic aneurysm repair. Overall, 2,755 target vessels were included, mean 3.9 per patient. Of these, 1628 were incorporated viaduct ipsilateral preloads using the MPDS, 1440 accessed from the biport handle and 188 from above. The mean size of the contralateral femoral sheath during target vessel catheterization was 15F plus or minus 4, and in 41 patients, 6.7%, the sheath size was less than or equal to 8F. Technical success was 96.1%. Median procedural time was 209 minutes, IQR, 161 to 270 minutes, contrast volume was 100 milliliters, IQR, 70 to 150 milliliters, fluoroscopy time was 63.9 minutes, IQR, 49.7 to 80.4 minutes, and median cumulative air karma radiation dose was 2,630 milligrays, IQR, 838 to 5,251 milligrays. 30-day mortality was 4.8%, and equals 34. Access complications occurred in 6.8%, and equals 48, and 30-day reintervention in 7%, and equals 50, 18 branch-related. Follow-up of greater than 30 days was available for 628 patients, 88%, with a median follow-up of 19 months, IQR, 8 to 39 months. Branch-related endoleaks, typic slash fike, were observed in 15 patients, 2.6%, and aneurysm growth of greater than 5 mm was observed in 54, 9.5%. Freedom from reintervention at 12 and 24 months was 87.1%, standard error, SE, 1.5%, and 79.2%, SE, 2.0%, respectively. Overall target vessel patency at 12 and 24 months was 98.6%, SE, 0.3%, and 96.8%, SE 0.4%, respectively, and was 97.9%, SE 0.4%, and 95.3%, SE 0.8%, for arteries stented from below using the MPDS, respectively. Conclusions The MPDS is safe and effective. Overall benefits include a decrease in contralateral sheath size and the treatment of complex anatomies with favorable results. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Hiatal hernia repair with biosynthetic mesh reinforcement, a qualitative systematic review. Introduction. Reinforcement of crural closure with synthetic resorbable mesh has been proposed to decrease recurrence rates after hiatal hernia repair, but continues to be controversial. This systematic review aims to evaluate the safety, efficacy, and intermediate-term results of using biosynthetic mesh to augment the hiatus. Methods. The preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analyzes guidelines were followed throughout this systematic review. The risk of bias in non-randomized studies of interventions and risk of bias in randomized trials tools were used to perform qualitative assessment of all studies included in this review. Recommendations were then summarized for the following predefined key items, protocol, research question, search strategy, study eligibility, data extraction, study design, risk of bias, publication bias, and statistical analysis. 
Results The systematic literature search found 520 articles, 101 of which were duplicates and 355 articles were determined to be unrelated to our study and excluded. The full text of the remaining 64 articles was thoroughly assessed. A total of 18 articles, 1846 patients, were ultimately included for this review, describing hiatal hernia repair using three different biosynthetic meshes, BioA, Phasic Street, and Polyglactin mesh. Mean operative time varied from 127 to 223 minutes mean follow-up varied from 12 to 54 months. There were no mesh erosions or explants. One mesh-related complication of stenosis requiring reoperation was reported with BioA. Studies showed significant improvement in symptom and quality of life scores, as well as satisfaction with surgery. Recurrence was reported as radiologic or clinical recurrence. Overall, recurrence rate varied from 0.9 to 25%. Conclusion The use of biosynthetic mesh is safe and effective for hiatal hernia repair with low complications rates and high symptom resolution. The reported recurrence rates are highly variable due to significant heterogeneity in defining and evaluating recurrences. Further randomized controlled trials with larger samples and long-term follow-up should be performed to better analyze outcomes and recurrence rates. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Intraoperative pathology assessment may lead to overtreatment of the axilla in clinically node negative breast cancer patients undergoing upfront mastectomy. Background Randomized trials have established the safety of observation or axillary radiation, AXRT, as an alternative to axillary lymph node dissection, ALND, in patients with limited nodal disease who undergo upfront surgery. Variability remains in axillary management strategies in CN0 patients undergoing mastectomy found to have 1-2 to two positive sentinel lymph nodes, SLNs. We examined the impact of intraoperative pathology assessment and axillary management in a national cohort of Amaros-eligible mastectomy patients. Methods The National Cancer Database was used to identify Amaros-eligible CT12N0 breast cancer patients undergoing upfront mastectomy and SLN biopsy, SLNB, and found to have 1-2 positive SLNs, from 2018 to 2019. We constructed a variable defining intraoperative pathology as not performed slash not acted on if ALND was either not performed or performed at a later date than SLNB or performed slash acted on if SLNB and ALND were completed on the same day. Adjusted multivariable analysis examined predictors of treatment with both ALND and AXRT. Results Overall, 8,222 patients with CT12N0 disease underwent upfront mastectomy and had 1-2 positive SLNs. Intraoperative pathology was performed slash acted on in 3,057, 37.2% patients. These patients were significantly more likely to have both ALND and AXRT than those without intraoperative pathology, 41.0% versus 4.9%, P less than 0.001. On multivariate analysis, the strongest predictor of receiving both ALND and AXRT was use of intraoperative pathology, odds ratio 8.99, 95% confidence interval 7.70 to 10.5, p less than 0.001. Conclusions 
We advocate that consideration should be made for emission of routine intraoperative pathology in mastectomy patients likely to be recommended post-mastectomy radiation to minimize axillary overtreatment with both ALND and AXRT in appropriate patients. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Non-response after gastric bypass and sleeve gastrectomy, the theoretical need for revisional bariatric surgery, results from the Scandinavian Obesity Surgery Registry. Background Revisional surgery is a second-line treatment option after sleeve gastrectomy, SG, and gastric bypass, GBP, in patients with primary or secondary non-response. The aim was to analyze the theoretical need for revisional surgery after SG and GBP when applying four indication benchmarks. Method Based on data from the Scandinavian Obesity Surgery Registry, SG and GBP were compared regarding four endpoints, 1. Excess weight loss, percent EWL, less than 50%, 2. Weight regain of more than 10 kg after nadir, 3. Fulfillment of previous IPSO guidelines, or 4. AIDA criteria for bariatric metabolic surgery two years after primary surgery. Results. A total of 60,426 individuals were included in the study, SG, and equals 7,856 in GBP, and equals 52,570. Compared to patients in the GBP group, more SG patients failed to achieve a percent EWL greater than 50%, 23.0% versus 8.5%, P less than 0.001, regained more than 10 kg after nadir, 4.3% versus 2.5%, P less than 0.001, and more often fulfilled the ISO criteria, 8.0% versus 4.5%, P less than 0.001, or the ADA criteria, 3.3% versus 1.8%, P less than 001 at the two-year follow-up. Conclusion SG is associated with a higher risk for weight non-response compared to GBP. To offer revisional bariatric surgery to all non-responders exceeds the bounds of feasibility and operability. Hence, individual prioritization and intensified evaluation of alternative second-line treatments are necessary. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Five-year colis Nissen gastroplasty outcomes for type 3-4 hiatal hernia with short esophagus, a prospective observational study. Background To assess the five-year outcomes of patients undergoing colis Nissen gastroplasty for type 3-4 hiatal hernia with short esophagus. Study Design from a prospective observational cohort of patients who underwent anti-reflux surgery for type 3-4 hiatal hernia between 2009 and 2020, those with short esophagus, abdominal length less than 2.5 cm, in whom a collis Nissen procedure was performed and reached at least 5 years of follow-up were identified. Hernia recurrence, patient symptoms, and quality of life were assessed annually by barium meal x-ray, upper endoscopy, and validated symptoms and quality of life in reflux and dyspepsia, CLRED, questionnaires. Results. Of the 114 patients with collis Nissen gastroplasty, 80 patients who completed a 5-year follow-up were included, mean age 71 years. There were no postoperative leaks or deaths. Recurrent hiatal hernia, 
any size, was identified in 7 patients, 8.8%. Heartburn, regurgitation, chest pain, and cough were significantly improved at each follow-up interval, p less than 0.05. Preoperative dysphagia disappeared or improved in 26 of 30 patients, while new-onset dysphagia occurred in 6. Mean postoperative CORAD score is significantly improved at all dimensions, p less than 0.05. Conclusions Collis gastroplasty combined with Nissen fund application provides low hernia recurrence, good control of symptoms, and improved quality of life in patients with large hiatal hernia and short esophagus. Proximal instructions for use violations in elective endovascular aneurysm repair and the vascular quality initiative, retrospective analysis. Background Endovascular aneurysm repair, EVAR, is often attempted in patients with marginal anatomy. These patients' midterm outcomes are available in the vascular quality initiative for analysis. Study design Retrospective analysis of prospectively collected data in the Vascular Quality Initiative from patients who underwent elective infrarenal EVAR between 2011 and 2018. Each EVAR was identified as either on or off instructions for use, IFU, based on aortic neck criteria. Multivariable logistic regression models were used to assess associations between aneurysm sac enlargement, re-intervention and type ya endoleak with IFU status. Kaplan-Meier time-to-event models estimated re-intervention, aneurysm sac enlargement, and overall survival. Results We identified 5,488 patients with at least one follow-up recorded. Those treated off IFU included 1,236 patients, 23%, mean follow-up 401 days, compared with 4,252, 77%, treated on IFU, mean follow-up 406 days. There was no evidence of significant differences in crude 30-day survival, 96% versus 97%, p equals 0.28, or estimated 2-year survival, 97% versus 97%, log rank p equals 0.28. Crude type ya endoleak frequency was greater in patients treated off IFU, 2% versus 1%, p equals 0.03. Off-IFU EVAR was associated with type YA endoleak on multivariable regression model, odds ratio 1.84, 95% C1.23 to 2.76, P equals 0.003. Patients treated off-IFU versus on IFU experienced had increased risk of re-intervention within 2 years, 7% versus 5%, log rank P equals 0.02, a finding consistent with results from the Cox modeling. Hazard ratio 1.38, 95% C1.06 to 1.81, P equals 0.02. Conclusions Patients treated off IFU were at greater risk for type YA endoleak and reintervention, although they had similar two year survival compared with those treated on IFU. Patients with anatomy outside IFU should be considered for open surgery or complex endovascular repair to reduce the probability for revision. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Anticoagulation in Emergency General Surgery, Who Bleeds More? The East Multicenter Trials ACES Study Background 
while direct oral anticoagulant, DOAC, use is increasing in the emergency general surgery, EGS, patient population, our understanding of their bleeding risk in the acute setting remains limited. Therefore, the objective of this study was to determine the prevalence of perioperative bleeding complications in patients using DOAX versus warfarin and AP therapy requiring urgent-slash-emergent EGS procedures, EGSPs. Methods This was a prospective observational trial, conducted between 2019 and 2022, across 21 centers. Inclusion criteria were 18 years or older, DOAC, warfarin-slash-AP use within 24 hours of requiring an urgent-slash-emergent EGSP. Demographics, preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative data were collected. ANOVA, CHI2, and multivariable regression models were used to conduct the analysis. Results Of the 413 patients enrolled in the study, 261, 63%, reported warfarin-slash-AP use and 152, 37%, reported DOAC use. Appendicitis and cholecystitis were the most frequent indication for operative intervention in the warfarin-slash-AP group, 43.4% versus 25%, P equals 0.001. Small bowel obstruction-slash-abdominal wall hernias were the main indication for operative intervention in the DOAC group, 44.7% versus 23.8%, P equals 0.001. Intraoperative, postoperative, and perioperative bleeding complications and in-hospital mortality were similar between the two groups. After adjusting for confounders, a history of chemotherapy, UDS ratio, or, 4.3, P equals 0.015, and indication for operative intervention including occlusive mesenteric ischemia, or, 4.27, P equals 0.016, non-occlusive mesenteric ischemia, or, 3.13. P equals 0.001 and diverticulitis, or 3.72, P equals 0.019, were associated with increased perioperative bleeding complications. The need for an intraoperative transfusion, or 4.87, P less than 0.001 and intraoperative vasopressors, or 4.35, P equals 0.003, were associated with increased in-hospital mortality. Conclusion Perioperative bleeding complications and mortality are impacted by the indication for EGSPs and patients' severity of illness rather than a history of DOAC or warfarin-slash-AP use. Therefore, perioperative management should be guided by patient physiology and indication for surgery rather than the concern for recent antiplatelet or anticoagulant use. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. The Effect of Transport Mode on Mortality Following Isolated Penetrating Torso Trauma Background Pre-hospital interventions may increase the time to definitive care. Compared to ground ambulance, we hypothesize improved mortality for patients with isolated, penetrating torso injuries transported via private vehicle. Methods We reviewed the National Trauma Data Bank, 2017 to 2021, for adults with isolated, penetrating torso injuries stratified by mechanism, stabbing versus firearm, and transport mode, private vehicle versus ground ambulance. We performed a multivariable logistic regression to estimate the effect of transport mode on mortality. Results 
48,444 patients met our inclusion criteria. Patients transported by ambulance, injured by stabbing, N equals 26,633, and by firearm, N equals 21,811, had adjusted odds ratios of 1.81, 95% C 1.05 to 3.14, P equals 0.03, and 1.66, 95% C 1.32 to 2.09, P less than 0.001, respectively for mortality compared to private vehicle transport. Conclusion Patients with penetrating torso injuries have nearly twice the odds of mortality when transported by ground ambulance than private vehicles, despite injury severity. The scoop and run strategy may confer a survival benefit in this population. Next article is from World Journal of Surgery. The Role of Diagnostic Laparoscopy in the Evaluation of Abdominal Trauma Patients, a Trauma Quality Improvement Program Study. Purpose We aim to identify factors related to delayed intervention in abdominal trauma patients who underwent diagnostic laparoscopy using a nationwide databank. Methods From 2017 to 2019, abdominal trauma patients who underwent diagnostic laparoscopy were retrospectively evaluated using the Trauma Quality Improvement Program. Patients who underwent delayed interventions after a primary diagnostic laparoscopy were compared with those who did not. Factors associated with poor outcomes that are usually correlated with overlooked injuries and delayed interventions were also analyzed. Results Of the 5,221 studied patients, 4,682, 89.7%, underwent inspection without any intervention. Only 48, 0.9%, patients underwent delayed interventions after primary laparoscopy. Compared with patients receiving immediate interventions during primary diagnostic laparoscopy, patients receiving delayed interventions were more likely to have small intestine injuries, 58.3% versus 28.3%, P less than 0.001. Among patients with hollow viscous injuries, a significantly higher probability of overlooked injuries that required delayed intervention was observed in patients with small intestine injuries, small intestine injury, 16.8%, gastric injury, 2.5%, large intestine injury, 5.2%. However, delayed small intestine repair did not significantly affect the risk of surgical site infection, SSI, P equals 0.249, acute kidney injury, AKI, P equals 0.998, or hospital length of stay, LOS, P equals 0.053. In contrast, significantly positive relationships between delayed large intestine repair and poor outcomes were observed, SSI, odds ratio equals 19.544, P equals 0.021, Aki, Odds ratio equals 27.368, P less than 0.001, loss, beta equals 13.541, P less than 0.001. Conclusions Most examinations and interventions, near 90%, were successful during primary laparoscopy for abdominal trauma patients. Small intestine injuries were easily overlooked. Delayed small intestine repair-related poor outcomes were not observed. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead. Stay blessed and be humane.